Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios, hanging out with you where sports meets that thing called life. I appreciate you being here every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Can't thank you enough for letting us be a part of your weekday mornings and for all of our special engagement shows that we do out at the Wildcat Sports Pub on 3680 Milton Avenue in Camillus, New York at Pizza Man Pub out on 50 Oswego Street in Baldwinsville, New York, at the many Cafe Kubal locations around central and upstate New York, and of course at Avicoli's on 7839 Oswego Road in Liverpool, New York, the corner of Route 57 and Wetzel Road. So all the things that we get to do and everywhere we got to be, we've been out to PB&J's Lunchbox, we've been out to Monpa's Kettle Corn and Popcorn Factory, we do a lot of fun things out at Witty Wicks as well. <clears throat> so I want to thank everybody for however you connect with us and how you've seen the show and what you've come out to do. Obviously, we do our shows from Mother's Cupboard to Table at Mother's Cupboard. We do The Light Between Us at Chick-fil-A Cicero and Chick-fil-A Clay. The North Country Spotlight has started at Chick-fil-A Watertown and Canine Camp Dog Daycare, Canine Campground Dog Boarding, our segments that we always bring to you and the things that we love to do with them. And obviously, Great Lakes Honda City, uh, who I trust with my vehicle more than anybody else, and Carvel, where we have our own ice cream, and now at Mother's Cupboard, where we have our own sandwich called the Cuse McMother. And I went out and got it yesterday morning. Bacon, egg, and cheese, and French toast as the bread to the sandwich. You can cut it up and eat it with syrup, or you can just pick it up and eat it as a sandwich. I want to thank so many people. The sandwich was released to the public on February 15th, this past Wednesday. And it's already had an amazing opening at Mother's Cupboard where it's exclusive, 3709 James Street in Syracuse. And I know on game day, so many of you ordered it. And then, you know, obviously some orders definitely went in yesterday too. So just a few days old and people love the sandwich and that humbles my heart. So thank you for that. With that being said, Syracuse Orange men's basketball alum Otis Hill is on the show. I mentioned the sandwich because when this man finally gets his tail to Syracuse, we're going to go out and do a little tour. I feel like when Otis comes to Cuse again, then obviously we got to hang out. We got to do some things together. We got to get out to Mother's Cupboard and have some fun because owner Pete Green, I'll tell you this, will love the fact that you're there, Otis. And, and beyond that, as I tell people all the time, and I said last night when I was talking to some people, I said, I love having Otis on the show, not just because I love him as a basketball player, not just because of what he did at Syracuse. But because every time he comes on the show, I know I'm going to have some of my best laughs of the week. So I appreciate that. <laughs> hey, Dan, good morning. I appreciate that. And we definitely going to have to go out. I'm going to have to show my face. I haven't been to the Cuse in a while. And there's some, I got some really good friends and family, um, such as yourself and some other people that I really need to go see. So, yeah, we definitely going to make a day of it. Yeah, so I'm excited about it. I'm happy to have you here this morning. I look forward to that coming up here. So, you know, I'm here to talk about a very simple subject, a tame subject, one that not so many people are really passionate about. Uh, it's called Syracuse basketball, if you've heard of it. And, uh, you know, and, and this Duke game, not a big deal. You know, 22-point loss. Fans were pretty level-headed, right? They stayed there the whole time. Uh, if people don't know what it means to be facetious, I hope you look it up today. But but I'm, I'm here this morning to uh, to talk about the fact that Syracuse had, believe it or not, had led in this game at one point, had done some good things, got it down to nine in the second half, 
and the game blew up into a 22-point win. I'm going to I'm going to start this off Otis by saying something. I don't know and I didn't put this out on social media cuz I didn't want people to go crazy. I was standing I was coming out of the media room. The Duke players were in the tunnel and they were doing their like let's get ready to walk out. And so they're like talking with each other. And then, you know, one, two, three, go. One, two, three, go team. One, two, three, Duke, that you expect it. They said one, two, three. And I believe what I heard from standing right there next to them was one, two, three, F them. And I was like, if y'all didn't like Duke before, (laughs) you really don't like him like this. So I would love to tell me, for you to tell me in the huddle, did Syracuse ever do anything like that? Did y'all have a one, two, three, you know, kill him, F him, this, that, whatever? Because I my ears heard what they heard. And I just remember coming out of the tunnel, born and raised in Syracuse, going, oh, so it's going to be like that. So I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Oh, man, we never, we never did anything like that you know for us it was more about you know just the cues we were worried about us we weren't worried about trash talking or none of that but i tell you what if i had been an assistant coach or somebody related to the team i would have went in the locker room and i would have used that this is how they feel about you and 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 to be honest with you duke didn't they kind of showed us that they didn't show us any respect i really think duke that's how they really felt, and they came in that game thinking, F them, we're going to beat them. You know, and the thing is, when, you know, getting into the game itself, I don't feel, and this is to take nothing away from John Shire, and it's to take nothing away from Duke, okay? This is a team that hasn't been ranked for a bunch of this season. This is a team that is has not been in the top five of the conference for, for a minute, you know, they had the same record as Syracuse in the ACC when they came into the game, which I feel like a lot of people didn't know. But Syracuse and Duke coming into the matchup on Saturday were both 9-6 and six in the ACC. So, you know, that was a huge game as far as Syracuse moving up or Duke staying where they are. So you got two 9-6 teams. So Duke might think whatever they think of themselves, but the records inside of the conference were the same. I didn't see a punch down drag out Duke. I didn't see a shoot lights out Duke. I didn't see a, oh my gosh, in the middle, nobody can stop Duke. I saw a team that was, all right, okay, you know, not bad, middle of the road in the ACC, but I saw a Syracuse team that made them look great. I, You know, there were times, and I said this during the game, I said, the way Syracuse is playing right now, I thought Coach K was on the sideline. I thought this team was like 22 and one, and it was just a, and again, not to take anything away from John Shire, it's just in the coach, and not that he can't get there. In the Coach K years is what I'm saying. We expected Duke to be dominant. Duke coming into the dome and that dominance is something that fans get electrified for. I didn't see a dominant Duke team. I saw a Syracuse team that was just not doing things that were in their control. And so, to me, Otis, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. How you saw Duke, did you think that they were punched down, drag out? Or was this more of looking at Syracuse saying, you played your way out of this game? Um, I got to go with the second part of that. I think the Cus, I think we played ourselves out of that game. I watched the first half 
and we were in it. We had a great, we were playing well, we were getting some steals, um, we were getting some baskets down low, and then all of a sudden, I think it was probably five minutes left, four minutes left in the first half, and we went down 12, 15. Yeah. I didn't see that urgency. I didn't see that aggressiveness. I didn't see anybody pushing guys around. Yo, let's go. We got to get back into the game. And when you watch, like you said, I've been watching Duke this year, and they don't seem like that powerhouse and that great Mike Krzyzewski teams. They they look like an okay team, just like you say. Yeah. But when they played us yesterday, they were hitting shots. They were dunking the ball. They were blocking shots. It, it kind of looked like you said. It kind of looked like Coach K. Coach K's spirit was on the floor. Yeah. Syracuse shot them. We shot ourselves in the foot by not doing the the small, the small little things that need to be done. We didn't box out. We did. We weren't aggressive on screens. We did. We we let easy. We let easy layups go in. I mean, there was a time where I saw a guy. He had to be maybe. Five nine, five ten, go and take an easy layup, and, and he wasn't on the floor. Yeah, and, and and that's one thing. You know, I'm not saying that our team was way better than this team, or or they're bad. But if I'm losing to Duke or anybody, and I'm the and I'm and you're going one on two with me, and you're going to make a layup in my face, I'm going to try to put you in the bleachers. Yeah, and I just didn't see that at all. Yeah, you know, and. And I, I can appreciate that. We talk about it all the time. You know, the lack of physicality, the lack of, you know, just just guys not not doing that. You know, and allow, allowing these easy lanes. My frustration comes from, you know, and 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 you can say it over and over again. But what's the definition of insanity? You know, when when they go up there and they say, well, you know, Jim, you guys are getting out rebounded. You know, you don't get long rebounds on three-point shots. They, But whoever you play against gets long rebounds on three-point shots. And sometimes the rebounds are easy. The guy's just looking at the ball the whole time. It comes off the basket, and he gets it. And Jim will say, well, you know, it's hard to rebound in a 2-3 zone. And my response to that is, well, then why are we in it right now in this moment? Because so many times we, we have seen these – Offensive rebound. And, and the thing with me, when I watch these games and I take it all in, as a as somebody who grew up playing basketball, who knows this game, who has studied this game, and people can say whatever they want. You weren't a D1 player. You're not a head coach of D1. So whatever. I tell you right now, I know this game. I love this game so much. I can coach this game. I can coach this game to three-year-olds. I can coach this game to guys in their 20s. I know the game because I love the game. And I was not the kid that the coach was like, oh, yeah, that's my guy. I'm going to put him out there. Blah, blah, blah. I had to do everything in my power and then some to get on the floor. And so studying the game, understanding the game, knowing the defense, being the only guy putting my hands up in a 2-3 zone like I see Joe Girard the third do. He's got his hands up. He's got his hands out. And everybody else is standing there. If you are in a zone, and not every time. Some guys put their hands up, but I'm just saying this. If you are in a zone, folks, this is what you need to know. In a zone, it is very simple. You have to put your hands up and you have to put your hands out. Think about it as a song. Maybe Jim should play this in practice. Maybe he should play the the song Shout in practice. Because 
because the song shout put your hands up shout put your you know what i mean maybe we maybe we need to have that in practice maybe we need a little bit of that wedding crashers intro right where we got to see that because because the thing is the two things that syracuse is not doing on defense are both in that song you're not shouting to your teammates what's going on and you're not putting your hands up it's not just a wedding song it's a defensive mentality. Shout, get your hands up. Shout, put your hands out. It's not happening. And when I see a 2-3 zone, there are obviously gaps. You are Because you, you are guarding an area, not a person. So when you're guarding an area, not a person, you have to put your hand in the passing lane. You have to put your hand up. If they pick the ball up, you harass the hell out of them. If, if whoever picks the ball up on there, your hands are up, your body is into them, you are creating a wall. If they're still dribbling, wherever they're going, you put your hands out. You try to block the passing lane. Kadari Richmond was really good at it. So, and continues to be good at it at a different school, unfortunately. So, the, I mean, I'm really passionate about this, Otis, because... I knew if I wanted to stay on the floor, I had to be at the, well, in my case, five foot eight, be at the top of the zone and put my hands out, put my hands up. And I was guarding guys more often than not that were at least a head taller than me. So the way that I made myself as big as they are is by putting my hand up, putting my hand out, anticipating and learning their mannerisms so that before they went up to shoot, I would anticipate their shot and jump before they jumped, which would make me as tall, if not taller than them, in order to block the shot. This is not rocket science. It's called defense, and we don't see these simple things. It's not that the 2-3 zone is impossible to be successful. It's that a 2-3 zone is not successful guarding areas if you don't make yourself bigger with your body. Absolutely. When we played, I know... My assistant coaches when I was there was Tim O'Toole, Wayne Morgan, Mike Hopkins. Um, and the one thing I know they always told me as the center of the, the team, you have to talk and get everybody on the same page. So if I'm on, if I'm in, in the defensive center position, I'm yelling to guys, hey, get your hands up, get your hands up. When you get your hands up in the zone, the zone now becomes a lot more difficult because now you don't have the easy passing lanes. When you are standing there and your hands are down, you can pass the ball to the foul line. You can pass the ball to the short corner. Boston College, my freshman year, killed me. They killed us with just movement and passing the ball. Why? Because our hands were down. And that's what I saw in the Duke game. They were getting the ball to the high post. The high post was like a point guard. He was either shooting it, dumping it down in, or getting the easy three. And once Duke started rolling, and we didn't make that adjustment, as the players didn't make that adjustment and get their hands up, they just made it easy. Duke was just out there shooting around. They didn't have a hard time on defense. You know, Judah was in the Mensa. He was getting it. I think he had, what, four or five steals? Yeah, Judah in the game to to reflect on because he had he had a good game in this one. Judah had three steals in the game and he had, uh, and he yeah he only had one assist in the game, but he did have three steals and uh, right. Jesse had three as well. Right, and he right, and those two were getting their hands in the lane and they were tipping ball. And the thing is, I don't understand as a basketball player 
it's getting down to that time where the, the committee is starting to really look at teams and and that was our goal. Our goal every year was to go to the tournament and go as far as we can trying to win it. Yeah. Right now, they need every game. Yeah. And I'm really not seeing an urgency among the players. I, I, and I'm not saying anything bad about these young men. All I'm saying is there is no time to waste. Yeah. The NCAAs will be right around the corner. You want to get in, let's go. We have to win these games. But you have to do the little things to, to be successful and go as far as you can. And we're just not doing the little things. Yeah, you know, and, and I, w- I want to I want to destroy this fallacy right now that you can't you can't rebound in a two three zone because you were in the two three zone, Otis. You were underneath. So I mean boxing I mean this is the thing. Yes, you're in a two three zone. Okay. But when the ball goes up and, and correct me if I'm wrong. But when the ball goes they, in a 2-3 zone, you are guarding space. You're not guarding a person. You're guarding space. But when that ball goes up, you grab a man, you find him, you reach out and where they at, and once that ball goes up, whether you're in a 2-3 zone, a 1-2-2, a 1-2-2, a whatever you are in, whatever is going on in a 2-1-2, whatever your defense is, man-to-man, once that ball goes up, you box somebody out. You find somebody. I don't know any time I've ever played in a zone – where the ball went up and they said, don't, you know, whatever you got to do, you make sure nobody gets the ball. So I turn around, find somebody, put your butt into them and get ready to jump up and grab that rebound. So can we destroy the fallacy of, well, Syracuse doesn't get rebounds because zones don't get rebounds. Cause I think that's ridiculous. You're absolutely 100% correct. When I was, when I was playing Bayheim and Bernie Fine always told me when you're in the zone, you have to watch the flight of the ball. Once that ball hits the rim, you put a body on that guy so he cannot get that ball. You want to make sure you box out. But you and I have talked about this. Yeah. Boxing out is a lost art among a lot of a lot of these new young players. And now in the zone, now you're getting that long bounce from the three, and the guards are coming in to help, and now the ball's bouncing over their head. Because if they put a body on a guy, they could be in front of him and get that ball. I think it's just a lot of times the, the this new age way of basketball, these kids don't really buy. I went to an AAU game Dan, the other day. Yeah. And when I tell you, it was awful. It, <laughs> and I mean, they had two players from Ohio and I think and from Kentucky high school kids who were like top in the nation. And I'm looking at these kids going, really? Top of the nation. And he can't get a rebound. He can't make a left-hand layup. But he's top in the nation. Yeah. It's just, it's it's absolutely ridiculous some of the things that these kids don't do anymore. And, and I think the game, the game has evolved in a good way. But there's also a lot of negatives in the game now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the, and the thing about, I mean, boxing out. It's, it, I don't know. I mean, like you said, it's a lost art. But to me, it's it's such, I mean, it's such a normal thing to do. And 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 it was. It was like whatever defense you were in. Once the ball go, went up to the rim, every defense was the same. It was like whatever you were playing. Like I said, one two two, two one two, three two two three, man to man. Whatever you were in. Once the ball went up, 
you weren't in that defense anymore. Now you're just boxing out. You're doing whatever you can to get the ball. And how many times in this Duke game did I see the ball go up off the rim and fall in a dead space? And the Duke player was there. And the, and the Duke, I mean, it was the ball would like bounce right to them. They follow their shot. The ball come out. I mean, the guy shoots a three. He stares at the ball the entire time. Shoots a three. Takes two steps into the lane, and right and the ball came right back to him. And he goes up with two. And here's the thing: you're playing Division One men's basketball. I believe at any level, I don't care what it is, small college at USCAA, NJCAA, Division One, Two, Three, doesn't matter. If you are out there playing the game, okay, and the ball goes up, and they miss it. Not everybody has to be, well, to talk about this year, Houston, Tennessee, Alabama, whatever you want to call it. Not everybody has to be the best team in the country to know a very simple fact. If you are playing college ball anywhere, you're better than most. And if you're better than most and y'all miss the first shot and somebody gives you a chance for a second, third, fourth shot, it's going to go in. I know. I mean, if you look at the high percentage probability of a second chance point, I mean, to me, it's insane. And you take that first shot. All right, fifty fifty. If you're down low, maybe it's maybe it's eighty twenty. Maybe it's ninety ten. But when it comes to a second chance opportunity, if you are if you play defense well enough, or they or they just happen to miss, and you're playing whoever, when that I don't care if it's Georgia Tech, Duke, Clemson, Wake Forest. I don't care if it's Louisville at the bottom of the barrel this year or Pittsburgh at the top or North Carolina. I don't care who their guys are and who they recruited. If you let these teams get a second-chance shot, you are playing in the ACC. You give them two or three shots per possession, one of them's going in. You give them one. And and the thing is, why is it impossible? How many times does Syracuse come down the floor, shoot one shot, one shot, one shot, one shot, one shot? They shoot the shot, they start running down the court. It's, I was taught, as soon as you let go of that ball, Dan, your tail better be running forward. I don't care how good you think it is. I don't care if that girl in the stand is, is clapping for you and you can't wait to go on your date after the game. I don't care what your mentality is. When that shot goes up, you are not out here being Prince. You are not Michael Jackson with a glove on. You better run your tail to that basket and make sure that ball goes in the damn hoop. Because until you see it go through the cylinder, you need to be under the basket. I, I tell you, You're right. And I'll tell you one thing that Bay used to do, and it used to drive me insane. But as I left college, I understood why he did it. When I would miss a rebound like that and it would hit the dead space, and it happens, and I get it, yeah. You're, and, and it does happen, but it shouldn't happen as much as it's happening. Right. Bayheim would sub me out. Yeah. My freshman year, oh, my God, I wanted to transfer. I was like, Coach, what am I doing wrong? And he, I think he had, oh, I can't remember the guy's name, uh, one of the assistants, but he had an assistant make a tape for me, a video for me. And I watched it because I was in disbelief. I was like, there's no way I'm missing that many rebounds. And I watched the tape, and I missed a bunch of rebounds. So I learned you better go after that ball or at least make an attempt or put a body on somebody. Yeah. Once I started putting bodies on somebody, you get more rebounds, and I wasn't getting snatched out of the game. So I definitely understand everyone's frustration. And I'm sure coaches frustrated. I'm sure the players are frustrated. 
but we got to go back to the basics sometimes. You know, this new age basketball and all these, everything is about offense. Yeah. Everything now is offense, 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 offense. Right. But where's the defensive presence at? If they can't score, they can't win. Or if you make it as hard as you can on that player, he know he's going to have to work for those points. But guys are just getting easy buckets, and, and they not they don't even look like they're sweating. Yeah. So it, it, it's just I can understand a lot of uh, faithful Orange's frustration. I really can. So I just I just hope these guys get a mentality of of just being a bunch of dogs, because if not, they're going to be going to the NIT like I did my senior year, and I I really want to let them know that you do not want that. I hated that that was one of the worst times of my life especially after going to the championship game the year before but now we're playing in the nit yeah no sir it was awful no and in otis hill syracuse orange men's basketball alum live on wake up call with dan tortora this morning inside the cafe kubal studios i mean otis you you said it and this is no offense to the nit or the cbi it's a consolation tournament it's a you're not going to win the prize, but you can play the game. Because the thing is, and I feel, and you played it, I didn't, but this is how I feel. You can tell me if I'm wrong. If you won an NIT game, I feel like you went home that night and you turned on the TV and said, we ain't win nothing because you're watching the NCAA tournament. You're watching March Madness. You might have won an NIT game, but you're not in the tournament. You're not in the actual game. You're playing this ancillary tournament out there in space somewhere where it's 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 kind of like put it like this if the avengers were fighting kang because kang is the new villain so if the avengers were fighting kang and you were fighting a guy who was made up of sticks and you were on some planet in space fighting a stick guy (laughs) but they're saving the world on a different planet fighting kang and otis is like but I beat the stick guy. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? It's like... no, but, you're, but you're right because it was funny when we, when we, I can remember like it was yesterday. We we're sitting there looking at each other, me, Todd Bergen, Jason Pola. Like, man, I don't want to play in the not in it tournament. Yeah. Who, who wants to? Who wants to say? I think at the time, what was it? Sixty-eight teams. Probably last at that time. Yeah, so if you won, yay, we're the 68th best team in the country. Oh, yeah, yeah. No offense, NIT. No offense. But I want to go to March Madness. I want to hear one shining moment. Yeah. I don't I don't understand these, these like, people being happy to play in the, in, in the out tournament. What? Yeah. Like, it, it, it's just, and it's a, I don't know if it's a society issue. Because now, you know, we give trophies to everybody. I don't want anything from the NIT. Not not even a shirt. Because I knew what I experienced. And I knew we were a better team than what we played in the NIT. We just waited too long my senior year. We got, we got hot in the last seven games. If we had done it in the last 10 or 12 games, we definitely would have been in it. Yeah. And I don't want these guys... To have that feeling, and I don't want Coach to have that feeling because he could say, "Oh, it was great to play in it," but inside he's a competitor. Right. Coach Bayham is one of the biggest competitors I've ever met, and you can't tell me that he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm going to the NIT." Absolutely not. No, and then you know what they say? They're like, "Oh, but Dan, 
But Dan, if they get a good seed, Dan, they get to play a game at home, Dan. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I don't care. It, I mean, it's like playing an exhibition game. It's not, you, you know what I mean? It's it's not, and again, this is no offense to the people that run the NIT. This is no offense to the people that run the NIT or the CBI. This, it, it's no offense whatsoever. It's reality to the situation, okay? If, if you, if they said to you, Otis, you can go see Kevin Hart do his stand-up comedy tonight in Philadelphia, or you can see Schmevin Schmart do his comedy in Phil. I mean, it's, you know, it's not Kevin. It might look like Kevin. He might get up there. All right, all right, all right. But it's not Kevin. <laughs> it's not Kevin. You know what I mean? And that's and that's my problem. That's my problem with it. You know, I think I think Megan Good is gorgeous. Okay, I can say that because she's single now. Okay, when she when she when she had a husband. I had to keep my mouth shut, okay? Because I respect that. And I know what it's like to be married and have a woman not be in it to win it. So Megan Good is a gorgeous woman. If you told me, hey, Dan, I want you to meet my friend Megan Good. And I showed up at the bar to meet Megan Good. And y'all brought me... A Kardashian? A Kardashian? A Kardashian? No, I'll say it. No, 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 no. No. You bring me a Kardashian? Number one, Otis and I know that and listen, again, this is no offense. This is this is reality. This is based in factual statements. If you date a Kardashian, your career dies that day. So you know, Reg, Reg, you know, people say the Madden curse. Uh-uh, Kardashian curse. How about this? How about they put Kim Kardashian on the front of Madden? next year and see if both curses can blow up or who wins because I can't but no if you tell me Megan Good Megan Good Dan wants to meet you downtown Syracuse tonight and I show up and it's my ex-girlfriend that used to stare at the wall we're gonna have some problems we're gonna have some problems because that's my that's the NIT for me that is the NIT uh, you know what and you know what I'm talking about Otis you would walk in there and go you are something else you are something else <laughs> but but then it's it's what and people have to and people have to understand too. Syracuse has a tradition of some really good teams going pretty far in the tournament. You know, we won we won the 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 one with Carmelo and Jerry yeah. and those guys. And people have standards. Basically, I hate to say it. But people are used to a certain thing. And now it's been, well, we haven't gone that far in a tournament or we haven't done this. And I hate to say it, fans in general are usually, what have you done for me lately? Yeah. And these these kids, I'm not saying that they're bad kids or they're not playing hard or, well, maybe they're not playing hard may come in, but they're purposely trying to lose. I think what it is, they have to get back to basics. Yeah. And for coach, I know that has to be a huge mountain to climb with these kids. Because these new age kids, Dan, I coached a couple of kids. Um, was it two summers ago? Or last, no, last summer. And when I tell you, some of the things that these kids were saying and doing, I was like, yeah, I don't need to be a coach. 
because somebody going to sue me and I'm going to go to jail for beating up somebody's kid. (laughs) I told the the kid, I had a 17-year-old, or no, 16-year-old. I told him to set a screen, do a pick and roll, and just flash inside, you'll get the ball, we'll score. He looked me dead in my face and said, nah, I'm not doing that. Wow. And my and my assistant coach, who was a buddy of mine, grabbed me. I was like, "No, nah, I ain't gonna hit him." I was <laughs> like, "You go sit on the bench." Now he was our top scorer. He was our top scorer on the team. I sat him. His dad wanted to fight me so bad, but what happened was we had another kid who was pretty skilled, didn't have a big name. He listened. He ended up scoring twenty five points. Yeah. The. The thing is, these kids have to understand, yes, it's flashy score. Yes, the three-point ball is great. Yes, the dunk is great. But what about taking a charge? What about fouling a guy hard when he goes to the basket so he has to think now, if I go to that basket, I'm going to get smacked. You have to you have to do the intangibles. And Bayheim. And all my assistant coaches in Syracuse always preached that. And I never realized how important it was until I started playing professional basketball. And these kids have to understand it is the key. It is the basis and the key of winning these games. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you look at it, you look at Bayheim's history. 47 years he's been coaching. This is year 47, folks. And looking at almost five decades of being the head coach of Syracuse Orange men's basketball. I believe, if my numbers serve me correctly, he has won at least 20 games as a coach, 41 of 47 times. Now, obviously, this season's still going on. They're 16-11. But 41 of 47 times. However, in recent history, he has not gotten to at least 20 in any of the last four seasons, if it holds right now. 18 and 14 in 2019 20, then 18 and 10, then 16 and 17, currently 16 and 11, right? So, this is so you, and, and I don't bring this up to Witch Hunt Bayham, I bring it up to your point. When you say people have expectations, the expectation of Syracuse, I'm going to say two things. And if Syracuse fans disagree with me, feel free to write it in. I'm going to put a poll out today, I'm going to put it out there on social media, I'm going to let y'all have an exchange. Respectfully, don't be witch hunting. Don't be screaming at each other. Don't disrespect each other because those comments get deleted. You want to say something about Bayheim in a derogatory way, that comment gets deleted. You want to talk about your thoughts in a respectful manner, then we can talk about that. But we look at the expectation of Syracuse fans and what they have come to expect because of Jim Bayheim. This is what people forget. The people that get mad at Jim Bayheim are like, ah, screw Jim, fire him, we don't need him anymore. But Jim is the one that created the expectations that are so high. And those expectations, there's two things in those expectations. 25 wins a season or more, Sweet 16 or bust. That's what it became, in my mind, from watching this team for, he's been a coach for 47 years. I've been alive for 37 years. So I've watched all but 10 of his things because from a baby baby, I was in it to win it. So looking at this right now, and in my almost 20 years of being a broadcaster, looking at Jim Beheim's history before me and everything during me, he created the 25 wins, Sweet 16. That's the mentality. 
people started to believe we're going to win at least 20, 25 games a season, more than 20 typically, and we're going to get to the Sweet 16. If we don't get to the Sweet 16, we suck. If we don't get 25 wins, we suck. If we're not an automatic team that's going to, if we're not a team without question that's getting into the tournament and we got to wait on the bubble, we suck. So that's been the mentality for such a long time with Syracuse fans. And here's, here's the funny reality of that is what I said. You want the man to get fired or retire that created the high expectations that you hold. So the same man you want to get rid of is the man that basically, without question, spoiled you for many, many years. Right. You, you, uh, Dan, it's it's such it's such a complicated, but yet it's also an easy subject matter. Yeah. Because when you look at Coach B and you look at what he's done, his whole total body of work, like you said, the twenty five wins. Um, and the six, the sweet 16 appearances, I think people tend to forget sometimes that you're going to have rough years, but now, like you said, it's been four years. We haven't had, you know, the 20 wins and we haven't had the deep run in the tournament, Yeah. but I know coach and I'm hoping that he, he's going to, he's going to pull off of a huge recruit this year get the team back in, but right now nobody's thinking about that. Yeah. They want right now, they want gratification right now. We want to go to the tournament. We want to win the, the ACC tournament when we want to win it all. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to tell them. Unless this team has a dramatic change in the next week, I, I don't see that happening right now. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with so, you. I'm with you. It, it's just, it's just, like you said, it, it's, it's hard because people ask me all the time, Otis, don't you think Beheim should go? And I'm like, he's going to go when he's ready. Yeah. Just like when Dean Katie was ready. You say the same thing I say. I tell people this all the time. They said, when's Beheim going to retire? And I and I tell I tell people this all the time. I said, and this is not me wishing this on him at all. I, I do it, you know, I want him to live to be 150. I tell people all the time, he's going to die in the chair. I mean, that, that's, and what I mean by that is, is why do you think he's going to leave? He's been there for almost five decades. His children, I remember him talking about wanting to go see his kids play or being excited to see his kids play. And now his kids have played. They finished playing. They're all done. All of them are done playing. I mean, in the sense of college. Yeah, obviously, some of them still play in pro. But it's like he was talking about going to a high school game or a JV game. And, you know, like when he was talking back in the day, it was like a buddy JV game, you know, or, or one of Jimmy, or I'm going to go see Jimmy's game in high school. And now they're finished in college and he's still there. And I told people this a couple years ago. They said, Dan, what's going to happen? I said, I can't pretend to know Jim Beheim. He is a Rubik's Cube of sorts. But I will tell you this. One of two things, in my opinion. Either he leaves with his boys or he dies in the chair. I don't think there's any... There's any. I mean, they're like, how old is he now? I, I, like, I think he's around 78. But the, re, the reality of it all is... He, like Brett Favre, he, like Carl Sanfilippo at Beville in our community... For the football team, Carl Sanfilippo looked at me and he goes, Danny, what am I going to do? 
This is what I love. He said, what am I going to do without, you know, after football? I, you know, this is what I do. It's what I love. It's what I want to be a part of. This is Jim Beheim's life. This is what he does. It's what he's done his whole life. This guy went from playing as a kid to playing in high school to playing at SU to coaching as an assistant to becoming a head coach for almost five decades. The only thing that Jim Beheim has done consistently in his life without question is play basketball and coach basketball. So what do you expect this man to do? And this is the thing. I get it. I get that fans are saying the 2-3 zone doesn't. I, I, I know it doesn't work all the time. I understand it's not made to work against teams that hit three-pointers. I fully understand people's frustration with the 2-3 zone. I fully understand the frustration every time there's a moan and a groan when Syracuse doesn't get a defensive rebound. I understand the frustration of shot selection. I understand the frustration of not getting your hands up. I understand the frustration of going, did we call a play on offense? Is there are, are there plays on offense? I understand that frustration. On the other side of it, I also understand the fact that you are booing a Hall of Famer who, if he was anywhere else, you would hate him, like Coach K, like Roy Williams, like Rick Pitino, like John Wooden. If he, if that guy, Jim Beheim is in the upper echelon of people that when they come into your arena, you can't stand them for two hours. You can't deal with them. You can't Dean Smith. There's people, and I put Rick Pitino in there not because Rick Pitino won an ungodly amount of games. I put him in there because he was a lightning rod, like John Calipari. But, you know, when you look at the upper echelon of coaches, you look at Coach K, when you talk about wins, you look at John Wooden, you look at Jim Beheim, you look at Coach K, you look at Roy Williams and everything that he's done. There's Dean Smith. You look at these coaches and you say to yourself, if they're your coach, you love them. If they're not your coach, you want them to retire. But Syracuse lives in this really weird world where they're your coach and you love them and you also want him to retire. So it's this confusing thing of like Duke fans going, oh, we don't have to boo. The Syracuse fans are booing for us. So, you know, I I just feel bad in the sense for Jim Beheim to put my city on the map and to be one of the people that made sure Syracuse is known in Ghana, Africa, in, you know, Sioux Falls, you know, North Dakota, South Dakota, wherever it is, all over the world, that this man, you know, in the Arctic Circle, people know what Syracuse is. And in Nova Scotia, people got S's on their chest. But at the same time, every game, without doubt, like clockwork, this game ended in the Dome, and right behind me, I was like, are these rumblings of a conversation that Jim Beheim should get fired not even two minutes after the game? And it just, it blows my mind because were they saying that in Duke about Coach K? Were they saying that in North Carolina about Roy Williams? Did they say that in UCLA about John Wooden? Did they say it in North Carolina about Dean Smith? Has anybody been on a retirement watch more than Jim Beheim? Right. I don't You're know. 100%, you're 100% correct because, Dan, you know what's funny? I can remember, oh God, who were we playing against? My freshman year, I think it was Boston College. Boston College really knew how to effectively pick apart the zone. And I'll never forget, we're 
I think we lost by nine, and they started booing us. And I remember looking around, and Adrian Autry was like, yeah, big fella, this is the big time. They expect you to win. They expect us to win here. And I was like, wow, I, I just couldn't believe it. But but as a as a player who is now a fan of the game as much as I am now, looking from the outside in, it's awful. It really is. It, it, it's awful, but, but fans want to win. And what cures everything on a team? Winning. So it, it's it's 50-50 all the way around because I really – I really love Coach, and I think he's I think he's done an amazing job, and he's been there forever. And I think people are just thinking that it's time for some new blood, but I want to warn people. You and I both know. Look at Duke. Duke is not the Duke of old. Yeah. And there, and after right, and after Bayheim leaves, depending on who the coach is, depending on what players you get, you could have a really awful year. Or years, depending on what Syracuse does after he leaves. So just don't be so quick. Just <laughs> be a little patient with him. He got, he got, he, he might have five more years. To... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, this, you know, this, this. I, I love how you're laughing, but it is. It's like Jim Beheim. If he was gonna retire this year, hearing one person go, "You're washed up," he was like, "Well, I'm not retiring then." He's not gonna give you what you want. He's not going to give you what you want, okay? Jim Beheim is the fly that no matter how many times you swatted him, he's going to go right for your eye. That's who he is. He's not. He does not back down. He told the NCAA, "I'm gonna be out in three years." Then three years hit, and he said, "Ha ha, just kidding." Like that's not. No one's going to tell him when to go. Tell him when to leave. That is who he. That is who he is. He, not the university. And I got to tell you this, Otis. When he stood there and he said, people have this misconception, and obviously I'm paraphrasing, people have this misconception of me and this university. I do not control this university. I have no say in what happens. I am not the head of this university. And I went, okay. <laughs> so like, but I mean, let's face it. That, okay. You know, yeah. Okay. There's a chancellor. There's an AD. Okay, there's also a Wizard of Oz. So, I mean, you know, to me, that, and you know I'm not wrong, because when they turned off that Wizard of Oz thing and they went behind the veil, it was just a dude, and he goes, I know, leader, I'm just here. And that's, that's what it is. Syracuse University is the Wizard of Oz, but the actual leader of Emerald City is Jim Beheim. And people need to know that. You, you are right. <laughs> Yeah. You know? Oh, man. <laughs> it's the truth. It's the yeah, truth. It is. It definitely is. It's, it's just, I know it's tough. Like, people people look at sports writers and they say, well, why is he writing this? Why is he writing that? People have opinions. Yeah. And people want to see Syracuse do well. Yeah. I don't care if you're the worst reporter and you and Behan have had it out for years and he can't stand you and he and you can't stand him. But deep down inside, everyone everyone who's involved with the Orange wants to see us win and do well. Yeah. And you can't be mad at that. You really can't. Yeah. Well, you know, and you bring truth to it because 
even the reporters that fight for the sake of fighting, they want to go to the NCAA tournament. You know, nobody wants to sit at home when it comes to March. Nobody wants to be watching. And so I get that and I feel that. And I and, and I and I do believe that. Even even the even the meanest, nastiest reporter that will twist and turn the words, they want to go. And that's what I tell people all the time. Because people steal stuff from me all the time. The media dogs me all the time. And I look at the rest of the media and I go, if I ever stop doing what I do, y'all would all be homeless. Because who would you steal from? I'm putting food on your table. You can say thank you, Dan, for feeding my kids today. You can say thank you for that. You're welcome because you don't like that I'm on the teleconference asking questions every single day. Well, bro, those answers to the questions were in your story that you sent to your editor who gave you a paycheck. So with all due respect, where's my commission? Where's my cut? That's how I feel about it. And if I'm Jim Beheim, I would stand up that podium and say, without me, people wouldn't read your stuff as much as they do. So you can hate me all you want to, but you're going to show up every day and you're going to hope I stand at this podium because people pay attention to what Jim Beheim said. And he knows that. He knows that people pay attention. Now, I have a good relationship with him. Him and I don't fight. We talk about stuff and we talk about basketball and people will say to me, Dan, why don't you ask him about the 2-3 zone? Why don't you ask him the hard, you ask him softball questions? No, I don't. I ask him questions about things that he's going to talk about and expand upon. Because my job as a broadcaster and a person of the people is for me to get Jim to open up about things about the team that I want to know. I don't want to be the 752nd person that he screams at about the 2-3 zone. And so I tell fans all the time, if you want to get yelled at, work your butt off, get a credential, come into the post-game press conference room, and let Jim Beheim rip you to shreds yourself. But the reality of it all is, it's not a hard-hitting versus a softball question. It's it's people wanting Jim Beheim to lose his mind because they love the drama. And I'm not a dramatic person. So I asked him about Malik Brown. I found a positive in it. Malik Brown's done some good things. He's worked himself in the starting lineup. I'm going to talk to him about Malik. I'm going to talk to him about Judah. I'm going to talk to him about moments where Jesse got better. That's what I'm going to talk to him about. I'm not going to walk into the game and say, Hey, Jim, Benny's the only guy that wasn't in the building today. Can you tell me why? Because any coach is going to go, I just played a game for two hours, and you want to talk to me about the only guy that wasn't here? And let me tell you something about Benny Williams. Benny knows. Benny knows everything that happened from the media when he was not there and it has changed him so you know it's it's like people forget you are dealing with human beings dan i just want to see jim Beheim lose it and i want you to take the bullet for all of us and i will tell people respectfully i have a close-knit group of brothers that i will take a bullet for but a random troll on social media i ain't dying for you hell no right <laughs> <laughs> I am <laughs> I'm not gonna die for you. Yeah, but Jim, why don't you play the two three like are you kidding me? I know Jim so well that when people ask him questions, I know I can feel the rumble of the earthquake. When I'm in that room and somebody asks a question, I go, Oh, he's gonna eat you. He's he's gonna eat you right now. Like there was one time I was holding my camera and I was like, I wanna go home. I don't I don't wanna see this. Cause I feel like I'm witnessing a crime. 
and I don't know if I should call somebody. Like, I just, you know, there are moments. I mean, C.J. Fair played four years, and somebody sat there in his senior year, and he said, hey, Jim, do you like C.J. Fair? And I was like, oh, hell, I'm leaving. I'm not doing this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't. You can't. With Bayheim, when he does it, I swear, somebody put up, oh, was it last year or two years? I think it was two years ago. Someone had took a compilation of all his press game interviews. Yeah. Dan, if I could find that, when I tell you <laughs> he is merciless, he does not care. And I don't blame you. I wouldn't want to get in that line of fire either. Coach, I think I had, uh, my dad had died and I had came back that year and I had had a little uh, situation and I walked out of a game and walked home. And they were killing me. Uh, even the Daily Orange, the school paper, was. they had a drawing of me as, uh, I think I was like a little kid. And they were like, oh, did you got to go home? And Bayheim stuck up for me like no other. Yeah. And you're right. He, he looked for those moments for somebody in the press to say something stupid so he can give it to him with both barrels. He does not care. <laughs> no, and that's the thing. And that's, and that's what I want people to understand. I am not in there afraid of Jim Beheim. I am not in there not asking hard-hitting questions. I am in there understanding, because this is what you have to, in order to be a good host, a good interviewer, you have to know the person you're talking to. And as my dad told me a long time ago, he said, Dan, this guy that's interviewing Jim Boeheim, watch him on TV. He has no idea how to talk to this man. He's not listening to him because he's trying to ask Jim these questions and Jim doesn't want to talk about it. And Jim keeps telling him he doesn't want to talk about this stuff and this is not what he's interested in. And the guy keeps pushing for it, but he's not. And if you turn around and you find what he wants to talk about, he'll open up. When I go into a post-game press conference, I want a coach to open up, feel comfortable, feel safe with me, and tell me their story. I have had over 3,500 people on this show, and I don't think I've ever had anybody come on this show that's like, oh, I'm never going back on that show again. I can't believe he said I can't. No. I talk to people to learn their story. So if you think, oh, Dan's Dan's not asking a hard-hitting question because he's afraid of... No. I'm not asking a question that I know the damn answer to. I'm going to tell you what Jim Beheim will say. Hey, Jim, why do you play the 2-3 zone? I don't think it works. Jim will say to me or anyone, I have won over 1,000 games. You have won zero. Shut up. That's what he says. He said it before, and he'll say it again. That's what he feels. He's going to say, this is the defense I like to run. This is what I'm doing. Do I think Jim Beheim hit you with the okey-doke this year? I do, because Jim said he was going to play man-to-man in 2-3 zone, and I sat back in my chair, and I smirked, and I was like, really, Jim? Really? And he didn't. He didn't. Why? Because he wanted, after 47 years, to make the people think they're going to get what they want. And then he turned around and said, F you, I'm the coach, shut your mouth. That's what he did. (laughs) Jim hit you. People don't, they got hit so hard and so quickly. That was a Mike Tyson knockout. They are on the ground. They don't even know it's 16 and 11. They're still waiting for Jim to play man to man. It's not going to happen. Because Jim Jim said, all right, you know what? I've tried everything else in the media, everything else with the trolls, everything else with the people that boo me. I'm going to tell you that I'm going to play what you told me to play 
25 years ago just to not do it and stand on the sideline that I've been on for 47 years and look you all in the face and go, I don't care how you feel, I'm the coach. That's what he did this year. He literally said, oh, you want man-to-man? We'll play man-to-man. Psych. That's what Jim Beheim did. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Coaches coaches learn, man. He's gotten a little bit better with the media. Because my freshman year, I I used to just like, I used to cringe. I used to cringe, yeah. He definitely he definitely set you guys up with the pump fake. He definitely did. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't set me up. I was like, really, Jim? You know, like, <laughs> I knew. I was like, Jim Beheim. I said, they say a zebra don't change their stripes. This, this zebra's stripes are branded on. There is no way that these stripes are changing in any way, shape, or form. I thought it was hilarious because I'm like a few games in and I'm going, okay. All right, you know, I just, I just, I just think it's, I think it's fun, and I would love to, you know, get Jim aside one day, and like he retires, whatever, get him aside and go, what was it back then? And he's like, oh, I just wanted to mess with him. Like I just, I mean, like to me, it's like that's that's what, but that's the thing. If you know his personality and you know what he's about and you know what he cares about, I believe that I know things that he cares about and things that matter to him. So when a game ends, I interview him based on what I saw and about the game. Because he loves to talk about the game, the development. There's a, numerous times I've asked him a question about one thing, and he answered five other questions I had in my brain that I didn't even have to ask because we were talking about scheming or position, whatever. But he, he brand, and even with Malik Brown that I played today, he talked about Malik. And he, and he said, we need to get action from the three. We need to get action from Jesse. Malik's been consistent. He's done some good things. But we need help around him and some other. And, and that's I asked him one time about Jesse. And he ends up talking about Judah, Joe, Cy, Benny. And I'm sitting here going, how did he read my mind that I wanted all of that to come from what I was thinking about today? So, I mean, if Jim and I were sitting talking and there was nobody else in the room, I'd be breaking down film with them saying, like, Jim, this is what I saw. Am I wrong? Tell me I'm stupid if this is wrong, but this is what I saw in this play. Is there a way to do it here? Do I agree with everything he does? No. Do I agree with everybody on the planet 24-7? No. There's things that I see that I'm like, why did he do that? And he could turn around and say, well, I did it because of this, and maybe I didn't see it. And you learn from each other. So if I've learned anything from Jim Beheim. I believe we mutually respect each other because we have for 11 years. I enjoy talking to him. I enjoy the opportunity of being there. I don't always agree with everything he does, but I respect him as a person. I respect him as a coach. I respect him for what he did for my city and for my community and what he's done for basketball and USA basketball in general. So Jim Beheim to me, will always be somebody that I respect as a coach and someone that I appreciate. I like the way he raised his kids because I'm close. I have a good relationship with Jimmy. I'm really, really close to Buddy. And so I can appreciate all of that. With that being said, whatever you think of Jim Beheim or don't think of Jim Beheim, that man's funny. And I don't think people got that yet. <laughs> so Yeah, he definitely is funny. Because <laughs> he, he, he will get you in such a way... Where, and I and I love that, you know. I think at the end of the year, I might write an article that says, let's play man-to-man, dot, 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 psych. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> Listen, he, he, it was funny though. And, and you know, Dan, just not to be long with this one, but yeah. I remember my, was it my freshman year? We played, we started out playing some man to man. I remember Providence, we played man to man. St. John's, we played man to man. And I think, and, and, and this is, I, I could be totally wrong. And I think, but I'm trying to look at it from coach's point of view. Yeah. If you don't have, especially in today's game, if you don't have 10 guys that are starters and be able to manage those guys, yeah. it's hard to play man-to-man with a lot of these athletic teams. And I think what coach tries to do is he tries to go out and recruit the best players that he has. But a lot of times, you know, you got competition on the schools or whatever, yeah. so have you. But I really believe that he's never really had 10 guys that are all starters. And that makes a huge difference, especially on defense. If you got a guy that can come in on, you know, he's off the bench, he's, he's he may be a scorer, but you need him to play defense. And I believe that attributes to a little bit of the reason why he doesn't want to go. He's never told me. I'm just looking at it from a basketball player point of view. So, I don't know, Dan. I don't know what we're going to do. I think Coach is going to go out with that 2-3 zone. Well, let me tell you this, Otis, because I want to call BS on something. I want to be real about this. So, I know we've laughed a couple times. Get ready to do it again. So, here's, here's my feeling on things. And, you, and, and I feel like y'all know that I'm right. Once I say this, I feel like y'all know that I'm right. When Syracuse is playing well, the majority of the media is up Jim Beheim's rear end, showing him love. When Syracuse is losing, most of the media is shaming him, bashing him, because most of the media gives the people what they want. They focus on the population, the mass of the population. They look for where people are trending. Because somebody would say to me, Dan, you said positive things about Jim Beheim. He's trending downward. Why would you go with that? Because I do this crazy thing called being a human. And when you're a human, you're supposed to tell the truth. You're supposed to give factual evidence. You're supposed to care about people and have empathy and try to understand the situation. I am not saying Jim Beheim is coach of the year this year at all or anywhere close. But what I'm saying is I have been in the game long enough to know that the media loves Jim Beheim when the fans love Jim Beheim and they hate Jim Beheim when the fans hate Jim Beheim. They write stories based on how they they write stories based on and tell stories on their shows based on how the fans are... Go back and watch. Go back a few years when Jim Beheim, 2016. Go back when he made the Final Four. And I was the only person that said Syracuse would have a good year. When I was the only man in America that picked them at the top of the ACC with North Carolina. And and people thought I was crazy. Go back to that year and, and listen to people say that I'm crazy... And then at the end of the season, go, Jim Beheim, give him an extension. Oh, my gosh. He is the savior. Is he the second coming of Jesus? I think he is. So if you go back and watch people, it is so laughable that somebody would say, because what do they say when you have a credential? 
You're an accredited member of the media. To be accredited, you need to have some weight to your word. And if you go back and you watch people's shows and you listen to commentary and you go back and you read articles, when Jim Beheim, when the team struggled and the fans had pitchforks and torches, they wrote smut. And as soon as Jim Beheim won, they burned those papers and said, we love Jim Beheim and we always have. Mm. I can't even laugh at that because it's too true. <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't, like, honestly, like, I was waiting there and I was like, how can I even laugh at that? Because, <laughs> you know, I was one of those people that I always read what the media wrote, and I wish I didn't, but, you know, I can't go back in time, but you're right. I, I Everything you're saying is right because I can remember reading articles, one article, one week, when we lose to, I think, who did we lose? Somebody we lost to, or almost lost, we almost lost to Princeton. And I mean, they were talking about Beheim like a dog, but then we go out and beat somebody like Arizona or Kentucky, and then he's the greatest coach in the world. Yeah. You're right. You are 100% right, man. And I'll tell you this right now. I will tell you this right now. If they go out and they beat, it happened with Joe Girard. It happened with Joe this year. Joe, Joe, went, Joe had a little lull. And then Joe had like 27 points on the road and there was dead silence on the message board. And I went, "Uh-oh. <laughs> what are y'all going to do tonight? <laughs> what are you going to do tonight? How are you going to react tonight?" And the thing is, if you if you, if the fans think and the media think if the media and the, if you think that these guys and these girls don't know, I'm telling you from the inside, they know. Because everything that happened with Benny and people not knowing Benny's situation and this, that, whatever, <clears throat> Benny now knows who he knows, he knows. And right. Joe Girard knows who he knows that he knows. And Tre Trevor Cooney knows who he knows. And Tyler Ennis knows. I mean, I talked to these guys years after and I go, hey, Tyler, I was thinking about this one time when this stuff happened with the media and this was my thought on it and this is how I reacted to it. But you're the guy that went through it. And he goes, nah, Dan. You were 100% correct. That happened, and I was like, mm-mm, bittered my taste. And so, you know, I mean, I want people to fully understand if you're in the dome and you lose your mind for Joe, Joe in his head is going, 50% of you are telling the truth. The other 50% of you said some nasty stuff about me three days ago. And, Absolutely. you know, and they know that. And that's the thing. And I tell people this all the time. Constructive criticism vastly different than destructive criticism. Constructive criticism is the team is struggling. Here's where I think Frank Howard can get better. Bop, 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 bop in my story. And then Frank hugs me at the end of the game. Why? Because I, sp because I spoke about Frank and the team. Frank knows he's struggling. He doesn't need anybody to tell him that. The team knew they were struggling. They didn't need anybody to tell him that. But if they go to read my art, this is how I think about it. If Frank reads my article, if his mom reads it, his dad reads it, if Bay reads it, if Otis Hill reads it, John Wallace reads it, Jason Cipolla reads it, can they say Dan told the truth respectfully or do they say Dan lied respect, you know, Dan lied disrespect? I mean, there's a difference between did Dan tell the truth, the hard truth respectfully, did Dan lie and still find a way to be respectful or was Dan just totally disrespectful? And what a lot of people don't understand in the media, and this is where I'll stick up for Jim Beheim. People don't know because they're not in the room. 
There are a lot of people in that room over the years that stand in the post-game press conference room with Jim Beheim in an effort to make him react. And they bait him, and they fight with him, and they do things in the hopes that they will be made infamous and that their career will launch. Because, they, I mean, if Jim Beheim wasn't successful and he wasn't important, then people wouldn't try to get successful off of talking with him. And so many times I find people in that room trying to get famous by having Jim Beheim blow up at them. And if you don't believe me, go read the articles that were written this year about people saying, I'm the guy that Jim Beheim yelled at, and this is why I don't like him. That's not an article. That's an opinion. That's a letter to the editor. That's all that is. And, you know, so, I mean, I, I will say it over and over again. If you hate him, why do you need him so much? <laughs> right? Exactly. So that coming, that coming from Otis Hill, Syracuse Orange men's basketball alum, myself, Dan Tortora. We ran a little bit over today as we typically do, but Otis, we've had way too much fun that I don't want to let it go just yet. I want to let you do something. You get to put me on the hot seat. So rapid fire, three questions. You're not on the hot seat. I'm going to sit here in my studio and Otis Hill one of the greatest Syracuse players, in my opinion, of all time, a guy who taught me about Cuses in the house, and a guy who said to me, Dan, when I played basketball, they were football games on the court. You have three questions to ask me whenever you're ready. All right, Dan, let's see. Who is... Okay, what was your favorite Syracuse team? Oh, that's so tough. So I would say... You know, I think most people would say 2003, right? Right. But my fir- my first favorite Syracuse team, the first time I ever fell in love with a Syracuse team, I'm not saying this because you're on the air, the first time I fell in love with a Syracuse team, and my mom and my dad can attest to this. So, like, they know me, like the back of their hand, and next to God, you know, your parents know you. My mom and dad can tell you moment upon moment upon moment at nine years old that the 95-96 Syracuse team was the first time I ever fell in love with the team. So, uh, okay. and that is and that is because, and I will never forget this, the TV in the room, my dad was in his recliner that, he was, that he's always in. My dad was sitting in his brown recliner. We had the pull-out couch out. My mom and I were in front of the TV, and the TV was on the side of the pull-out couch. In the, in, the, in the family room. And I was standing in front of the TV, and my mom was at my side, and they said, hold on a second. There seems to be a commotion on the Syracuse sideline. Let's go to the bench. It seems like they're, and you would hear, you heard this, you hear this like kind of like this noise coming back, and then you get closer and closer and closer, and then you would hear, the cuse is in the house, oh my God. And I was like... Uh oh, and then and I remember I remember you guys were rocking. Then I was rocking, and then I would go to school, and I felt like you know this is my hometown, and I would walk into school going the cues is in the house. Oh my god! So like I mean, and and in the studio to to live by my word of not knowing you're going to ask me this question, but having this as people can see this sign right now, I am holding up the sign on Facebook and YouTube, both dot com backslash wake up call dt. I've had this sign since I was a freshman in college, 
and people can look at this sign right now and see it on the screen. I have Cuse's in the house, oh my God sign in my studio. So, yeah. So, my my first team that I ever fell in love with of anything has to be the 95-96 team. My heart was broken when I saw the picture of John Wallace with his arm around you. I wanted, I, I, if I could go back, if somebody said you can get into DeLorean, go back in time, and you could change history, and one team could win a championship that you know didn't win a championship, I would go back to 95-96, and I would say, sorry, Kentucky, but I'm giving it to these guys. Because you guys, Jason Cipolla, J.B. Snyder, Marius Janoulis, people are looking. I'm looking right at the screen. I'm not looking at any roster here, folks. Otis Hill, John Wallace. This team was so good and so much fun. Lazara Sims. There was so much about this team that was so much about me, the underdog. Nobody thought they could make it. And I appreciate that. I love it. I respect it. Otis, at the end of my life, I can say that not only have I interviewed people from the 95-96 team when I was nine years old, but that I'm actually friends with players on that team. And if you went back and told nine-year-old me that you're going to laugh and joke around with John Wallace and Otis Hill and all these guys, and they consider you a friend and part of their extended family, I would cry as a nine-year-old and say, are you kidding me? And so you guys didn't win a championship, but in my heart, you won a championship because that Syracuse team taught me that when you say, and I don't care what anybody says about this, when you talk about your team, you don't say that team, you say us, you say we. And there's some fans going, well, Dan, I didn't see you suit up in 95. No, when you love a team, it is us, it is we. And I might as well have been on that sideline that day because I look back at 95, 96, and I say, that's my team, that I was a part of that, a fan of that. I rode with that. I believed in that. I was inspired by that. And I went to Our Lady of Pompeii School every single day, chanting and screaming and yelling. And every time we won, my entire school, all my teachers, my principal, we celebrated you guys like you were friggin' kings in the world. So I will always love that moment. Appreciate that. Yeah. Give me another one. What you got? Um, let's see. Let's see. Okay. Bayheim announced today yeah. that he was going to retire. Yeah. And they came to you and said, you have a chance to pick a coach. Who would you pick? You could pick any coach. He, we, we're going to offer him that much for any coach. Any coach out there, high school, college, anywhere, who would you pick? It's so hard because I know so many coaches. And right. and so right. to so to me, if this happened like a decade ago, I would have said, you know, give me Shaka, smart, you know, give me Brad Stevens, something like that. Great but pick. right. So I would have said something like that. You know, I would have there's certain guys I would have looked like maybe assistants, but I'm going to keep this home and I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep this real. And, and red, I hope you're listening because you know, I love you. People ask me this question all the time and they say, who do you think's going to get it? And I said, listen, if it was, and, and by the way, if you asked me this question and hop was still here, 
then you know, I mean, to me, Hop should have should have been the coach. But the oh, rea- yeah, we we we, we, could, we could do a whole show on that one. Oh yeah. So, but I'm but I'm going to tell you this. This man did not get credit for all the guys he recruited to Syracuse. He did not get credit for the trips he took overseas. He did not get credit for the amount of players that he helped send to the NBA or the players that he developed. This man, no matter how long he's been at Syracuse, has not received the credit that he deserves. And I don't think people say his name enough. I don't think people know enough about him. I took that as a personal mission to do shows with him, bring him out into the community, and let people know about him. If I had to pick a coach today right now, who has put in the blood, sweat, and tears, who is on that staff, who has given it all. I respect all three of the guys on the staff, and I hope that they can respect me for saying this because the amount of time, the amount of work that he's put in, he is a fantastic recruiter, and nobody gives him true credit that I've heard up to this point. If I had to pick somebody right now, I would give it to Adrian Autry because Adrian Autry is not spoken about enough, respected enough, understood enough, and I think that if you let him go and become a head coach, like he told me years ago, I want to be a head coach, Dan. I've always wanted to be a head coach. It's been a dream of mine. And I told him, I don't even know, five, seven years ago, Adrian, you deserve to be it. I want you to be it. And if it was up to me today, I would give it to Adrian Autry because if I didn't give it to Adrian Autry, I'm going to take a page out of Dabo Sweeney's book. Dabo Sweeney this past season hired an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator after losing both of them that became head coaches elsewhere. He hired from within, and people apparently lost their freaking minds because he didn't go and find a big-name person, but he hired from within. And he answered my question at ACC kickoff, and you can go back and watch it and listen to it. He said to me, if you have an opportunity where someone's put in the work and they deserve the raise and you don't hire from within, you destroy the culture of your organization. So in that respect, the man that's put in the work, the blood, the sweat, the tears, and is not only a good coach but a fantastic recruiter, if I was Jim Beheim and I was leaving and I did not put in my word for Adrian Autry, I would be destroying the culture of my program. Wow. That right there is one of the best answers I could ever imagine you think of because I totally agree with you. I, I've, I've known Adrian since my freshman year, and Red has always – he even coached me my freshman year when I played on the floor. Like, he literally would coach me. Oh, don't be here. Oh, have your hands up. If I'm looking at you, you know, he would he would tell me little things. And I always thought to myself, like, Red would definitely be an amazing coach. And from what I hear, like you said, he's done made it, uh, an amazing job recruiting. He doesn't get enough credit. But you're right. I, I definitely, that's definitely a pick that I think you can't go wrong with. I like that, Dan. That was an awesome pick. Thank you. I appreciate that. What is your last one for me? All right. My last one is a little bit personal. Okay. If there was one Q's player that you could that you think you could beat on a one on one game, who would it be? <laughs> and there's one like a Q's player a Q's player like, then or a Q's player right now? I would say any 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 Q's player you could think of. 
Who would you play? Who do you think you could be? Oh, you know what? I'm going to go on my man Griff because he trash talks like a mother. So I'm going, I am going with Alan. He does not shut up about my Jaguars. And so I'm going to go, I'm going on the court with Griff because I'm tired of his BS, man. I am tired of that BS. So, you know, Griffin, Griffin and I got a really good relationship. And that man, I'm going to tell you something right now, though. Griff's been really freaking quiet for the last four or five weeks. I don't know what happened. Oh, Jacksonville won the division, went to the playoffs, won a playoff game, had one of the three top three greatest comebacks in NFL history, had a ton of great games this season, at least four, where they flipped the script on somebody, and they gave Kansas City, the Super Bowl champion Kansas City, the best, hardest-fought game that they had to go up against leading into the Super Bowl. So, Griff, I guess my question to you is, why are you so quiet right now? I mean... <laughs> hey, Dan, let me tell you something. I'm a Giants fan, and I, I I took a little minute away from football, but I came back. The Jaguars are scary. Thank They're you. going to be very scary next season. Thank you. You know what? I got a, t- I got a towel here that I'm supposed to be <laughs> hanging up in the studio, but... Because Otis Hill just spread spread some truth and some knowledge to y'all, I'm going to put this towel up on the screen. <clears throat> it says, teal with it. Okay? That's what it says. It says, teal with it. It's my Jaguars towel, folks. If you think that 10 and 9 is good, buckle up, baby, because we're about to have a good, good time. I love it. Dan, you were right about Trevor Lawrence. I was right about Did anybody watch him play at Clemson? Anybody. I mean, it, Dan, do you really think he's going to have a good sophomore year? It seems like a bop, a bop, a bop. Some people, I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to answer the question. I, I, and I'm going to tell you this. After you ask a, after you, after you answer a question a million times, probably why Jim Behan gets mad. But after you answer a question a million times, because Otis knows this, because we talk about it on and off the air. Otis, the last girl that I dated, she was a specimen of... Uh, all I can say is I found a new breed of human. I'll tell you that much. And so, you know, and people started asking me over and over again, why'd y'all break up? Y'all looked happy. So after 300 times, I was like, listen. And I told him my answer. I'll leave it off air. I'll leave it for my comedy. But I told him a very clear answer and it made everybody uncomfortable because I was blunt and to the point. And they were like, Oh, and I was like, yeah, stop asking me the question, okay? You know? You know what I mean? Because here's the thing. Crazy people are magicians, okay? Let me explain. Crazy people are magicians. They know that they're crazy, so they do card tricks, and they get you to look at their hand, because if you look at their face, you're going to run. So they get you to look over here because they're masters of trickery. This woman told me she believed in Bigfoot, and I laughed, and she didn't. And then we watched a show about Bigfoot, which I can only describe as the worst acting and screenwriting maybe ever. And she was like, shh, they're going to find him this time. I've watched it for five years. They're close. And I thought to myself, this woman works in a hospital and she is responsible for saving your life. And she also thinks that these guys are going to find Bigfoot. And if they do, they're going to catch him. And... If you've never watched Mountain Monsters before, I would love for you guys to watch it tonight and then follow me tomorrow on Wake Up Call and tell me what you think about a woman 
who told me that Bigfoot was real, who's also responsible for making sure your heart continues to beat in a hospital near you. So... <laughs> I've heard it all now. Oh, I've heard it all. I love it, man. I love it. <laughs> but I told my buddy, I said, if 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 she didn't do the magician stuff, the master of trickery, if she didn't make me look over at her hand and be like, how'd she get my card in between her fingers? You know, how did that happen? If I just said, I said, if nothing happened in our relationship, but sitting on the couch and her talking to me about Bigfoot. Our relationship would have lasted eight days, but she knew, she knew how to get me and the way that she got me, she got me. And so I would be like, Hey, did you just say you believed in Bigfoot? And then she would mention something else. And the magician, listen, all I can say is shout out to my ex-girlfriend because she made helicopters disappear like David Copperfield. Oh, that is too crazy. <laughs> oh, Dad, you got me almost in tears over here laughing. Good Lord. <laughs> so, with that being said, Otis Hill, myself, Dan Tortora. Otis, it is always my pleasure. Can you get your butt up to Syracuse now, please? Hey, listen, I'm going to plan something. I'm going to try to come up uh, real soon. I actually got to come to New York, so I'm definitely going to try to swing by and come see you. All right, man, let's make it happen. As always, the great Otis Hill coming to you on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. Otis, you know I appreciate you. I send you all my love, and I look forward to talking with you soon. All right, love you, brother. Take care. I love you, too. And coming from Otis Hill. Whoo! We're having a morning. Oh, people tell me Mondays are bad. Not this Monday. You were laughing at work today. You learned something today. (laughs) So we're going to take a step aside. I got tears in my eyes, too. We're going to take a step aside. I'll wake up call with Dan Tortora. We will be back right after this to wrap up today's broadcast. Whew. I can, I listen, I tell you all the time, wake up call is unlike any show you will find anywhere else. And I think we proved that today. We'll take a step aside and we'll be back in the Cafe Kubal Studios right after this. <laughs> 